Welcome to the 53rd episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are doing a breakdown of UFC Fight Night, Sean Strickland versus Jack Hermanson. After that, we're going to talk a little bit about the new season of Tough, and we're going to end it off by looking forward to next week's pay-per-view, which is UFC 271, headlined by Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. So, um, let's get started right at the main event, Jack Hermanson versus Sean Strickland. So, I'm not going to pretend like this was the most entertaining fight that anyone has ever watched. Um, Sean Strickland did look good, though, and he did what he had to do to win. Um, Very nice jab, very nice two behind it, and he's got really good defensive head movement. I really like the way Sean Strickland moves his head. He he doesn't over he doesn't overdo it. Sometimes you see guys overdoing that head movement and and they just end up, you know, running around the octagon, you know, going like this and they look kind of silly. And then you have guys like Sean Strickland who utilize head movement very well um when their opponent is attacking. So I was really impressed by that. And I also liked the teeps that uh, Sean Strickland was mixing in. Um, Teep is one of my favorite strikes in MMA, so um, naturally, anytime I see someone going to throwing a good teep, I will always, uh, always mention it. But that was going for him as well, and most importantly, he was able to stop the takedowns. Um, it's very obvious that if you're fighting Jack Hermanson and you cannot stop a takedown, you will probably lose that fight. So, Sean Strickland showed that he's got some good takedown defense on him, and that's important in this 185-pound division, right? If you're looking at guys like Brunson, who's ahead of him in the rankings right now, if you're looking at a guy like Vittori, all future options for Sean Strickland, you're going to have to be able to defend a takedown, right? Guys like Robert Whitaker, Calvin Gastelum, um, you know, Robert isn't a wrestler, but, you know, he'll mix in a takedown if you give him that opportunity. So there's a lot of guys who are willing to wrestle in that 185-pound division. So that is a very good tool to have. And um, for Jack Hermanson, um, you know, I think he said it best himself in the post-fight. Uh, his timing just really wasn't there. And he wasn't able to finish some of those takedowns attempts. And um, you'll have that. And it just looked like last night wasn't really his night. So moving forward, um, Sean Strickland is going to have some options. And he's going to be fighting a big-name guy um, without a doubt. And looking ahead of him in the rankings, everyone from here up is, you know, in title contention right now. So... When those rankings come out on Tuesday, he'll probably get the, well, he'll definitely get at least to the number six spot. Um, I doubt he jumps Paulo Costa at number five. Um, And when we're talking what I would like to see next from Sean Strickland, I think he is one or two fights away from a title fight. You know, that kind of depends on who he beats, you know, who has the belt. A lot of variables there, obviously, but... um, Right now, the loser of that Jared Kinnanier and Derek Brunson match would um, make a good opponent for him. And then uh, Marvin Vittori, not a bad name. Paula Costa, not a bad name. 
So Sean Strickland is in a really good position where I would understand um, the UFC matching him up with several different highly ranked guys. Now for Jack Hermanson, he is not in as good of a spot, obviously. But I think a fight against Darren Till wouldn't be a terrible um, guy to throw him in there with. I'm not falling too down in too far down in those rankings, but um, you know, Darren Till is still res- a respected opponent. Um, I know they they were looking at Darren Till versus Uriah Hall, so maybe that fight doesn't work out. And then if that doesn't work out, you know, um, there really isn't a lot of super appealing options. You know, he already beat Calvin Gastelum. You got Brad Tavares, Nazardine Imavov. So we're just going to, I think for Jack Hermanson, we might have to sit around and wait a little bit if one of those guys behind him in the rankings goes out there and gets a big win. I think that they would be a good option for Jack Hermanson, but we're obviously going to have to wait uh, and see what happens with that division. And then moving on to the co-main, we had Nick Maximov versus Puhale Soriano. Um, And Soriano is someone who I really liked coming into this fight, and I liked him going into his last fight against Dusko. I think Dusko was his last fight. Um, no, Brendan Allen, and he's got a win over Dusko Todorovic. So, really, Soriano is just outside of those rankings at 185 pounds. Um, Brendan Allen was ranked and then um, lost his ranking when he lost a fight. Um, we'll talk about him in a little bit, too. But a win over Dusko Todorovic is a very good win. So, for Nick Maximov to go out there and beat someone of Soriano's caliber. Very, very impressive. Um, And that is also a big step up from his last opponent, too. So um, he didn't really get eased into this position. Um, He got thrown right into the wolves, and he performed well. It wasn't perfect, right? But um, constant wrestling, constant pressure. Um, He got caught a couple times. Nothing too crazy. But um, he worked out of it. Good cardio. Like I said, great wrestling. And I'm very, I was very, very impressed because Soriano's a tough guy and a really good fighter. So for anyone to go out there and get a clear decision win over Soriano, um, especially when you've got two unranked guys. Um, so for me, Soriano is a great win at that 185-pound division and puts anyone um, who beats him in a really good spot. And for um, for Maximov, I mean, he's probably not going to break into those 185-pound rankings quite yet. He's probably still one fight away, I would imagine. Um, and, and you've kind of got a logjam at the back of 185 anyways. You've got Kevin Holland at 14, Andre Mooney's at 13, Chris Weidman at 15, Imavov at 12. So you kind of have a log jam there. So um, he's not definitely not going to get a ranked fight next, but I don't think he is too far off. Um, let me pull up some names here, and we can we can throw some uh, future opponents out there for Nick Maximov. Um, Christoph Jotko, um, I think, would be a very 
very um, good fight. Maybe someone like Gerald Merchart, Eric Anders. Those are all uh, good options. Phil Hawes, not a bad option either. Julian Marquez. You know, he's going to have to fight someone who we have been impressed with. And, um, yeah, he's going to have to fight somebody good in his next fight. There's no doubt about that. Um, and then at that point, he will, will, will see how good he really is. All right, moving on. We had... One of the best prospects in the UFC, Shavkat Rachmanov, fighting Carlston Harris. And this was my favorite performance on the card, Shavkat Rachmanov. Um, I mean, just the way he fights is, he, he has a style that I really like. And he landed a really good spinning kick to the body before he eventually got that finish to, uh, with, with that spinning kick to the head. He also had a really, really nice takedown and a really crafty, crafty trip off the fence. So he's got grappling too. And, you know, this really isn't anything new. Um, Shavkat Rachmanov is someone I've spoke about on this podcast before. And especially his win over Alex Oliveira. Very good win. And I think the most telling thing about... Shavkat Rachmanov is just if you look at his finish rate, right? His finish rate is 100%. That's obviously incredible, but um, I think the numbers on the split there were eight submissions to seven knockouts. So he can end a fight on the feet, on the ground. He's a very well-rounded fighter, and I think you probably have to give him a ranked guy, right? He's running through a lot of these unranked guys that they're giving him. And, you know, he's beat respected opponents. So it's not like he's, you know, only beat bums. So I think that it's time to move him into those rankings at 170 pounds. You could make the case he doesn't quite deserve a ranked fight yet. I'm not going to pick straws. You know, you've got Muslim Salikov. You've got Santiago Pantanibio, Li Jingliang. I'm not mad at any of those fights if they get booked. Um, you could go Michel Pieda. I think that would be a really interesting fight. Um, and then the winner of that would definitely get a fight um, against a ranked opponent. Chaos Williams. You know, there's a lot of strong names there that you could match um, Rachmanov up against. Daniel Rodriguez, also very good name there. So there's a lot of options for him. Whether he gets the ranked guy, I think he should get a ranked guy. If not, he's going to be fighting someone that's, you know, maybe a couple slots outside those rankings. So he's going to have a tough uh, test in his next fight. And if, Shav- if Shavkat Rachmanov keeps fighting the way he has been fighting, he is going to get fast-tracked for a title. And I will tell you this right now. Out of if we're looking at just prospects in terms of um, w- w- the future of some of these divisions, 170 pounds looks tremendous. You have obviously Hazmat Chimaev, who everybody loves, everyone thinks is tremendous, and I'm not going to argue about that. But you also have Rachmanov, like we just talked about, and you also have Sean Brady, 
who already has a win against Michael Chiesa, so I'm not sure if he's a prospect anymore, but um, he's he's a younger guy who hasn't been in those rankings long, who looks really good. Obviously, those prospects at 155 pounds are great as well, um, but you know those three guys at 170 um, are all tremendous prospects. Now, moving on, um, we're going to move right down to Brendan Allen versus Sam Alvey. And this obviously wasn't the originally originally scheduled fight. Um, Sam Alvey was supposed to fight um, Phil Hawes. And then for Sam Alvey, this is very unfortunate the way this played out, right? He is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven losses in a row. One draw tossed in the middle of that. And the worst part about that is he's fought tough guys. And in a fight where a lot of people thought he could win against Phil Hawes, he ends up having to fight Brendan Allen, who is someone that a lot of people really like, including myself. So Sam Alvey kind of got the short end of the stick here once again. So he's probably going to remain in the UFC. I saw something that said he might take some time off, but Sam Alvey for now is taking some time off, it sounds like. For Brendan Allen, very smart of him to to step in and take this opportunity on short notice against someone in Sam Alvey who um, is well-known whether that's for good or bad reasons. Um, anytime you beat someone with a name, that has value. And I think at this point, he is very close to getting another shot at those middleweight rankings. Like I just said with Nick Maximov, the bottom half of those welterweight rankings are kind of packed right now. So, you know, he might not get that opportunity right away. Um, he might have to fight someone, once again, who's just outside of those rankings. And that is that is a theme uh, of today's episode, guys who are almost ranked, but not quite ranked yet. And that's what's going to happen when you only have one ranked fight on the card. But anyways, we will continue. And we'll go down to Brian Battle versus Treshawn Gore. This was a fight that I really enjoyed watching. Um, a lot of people say this is the ultimate fighter um, true finale. And regardless of what your opinion on that is, it doesn't really matter all that much um, at the end of the day. And for Battle and Treshawn Gore, they both look good in their own ways. And I think that Brian Battle came in with a great game plan to fight Treshawn Gore. The way that um, he Battle kind of gave the illusion that he was going to let Treshawn Gore walk him down. And, you know, he was fighting, I don't want to say off the back foot because he wasn't really, you know, wasn't really truly fighting off the back foot. But the, he spent a lot of time in between that black line um, on the outside of the cage and uh, up against the cage, right? In that couple feet of, of space there. And he was doing a good job fighting from that um, angle and the main reason was because of that teep I mentioned before I love a good teep and Brian Battle really was hitting Treshawn with those teeps and I think that's what caused the lack of output from Treshawn Gore I mean anytime he 
you know, when you're fighting someone who's throwing teeps repeatedly, you know, Brian Battle's just hitting him over and over again with those teeps. So he has to watch out for those. He can't just come in, you know. Battle is doing a good job of keeping range, even though his back was against the cage. Um, and not to mention, um, Battle has a very fast 1-2. He landed a couple good 1-2s. So for Treshawn Gore, that inability to close the distance, I think might have been the biggest problem um, in comparison to output, which he did need more output. But when he was um, finding, he did find some very good angles, land some really nice shots. So these are both two guys where I think in three years we're going to look back and these two are going to be fighting again, but they're both going to be ranked guys. I think both of these guys have a lot of potential. Um, I think Brian Battle is a little bit, um, he, he he's further ahead right now, right? And obviously you can't predict how people will um, progress in the future. So I don't know how anything happens, you know, later. But right now, Ryan Battle is a little bit ahead, and, and he proved that last night. But I think that Trayshawn Gore does still have a future in the UFC. And for Brian Battle, he's going to start taking on some uh, some more prospects and see if he can work his way um, into those rankings in a couple years. Now, there is one last fight that I would like to talk about from this fight card. And we got to skip around a little bit. But that last fight is Hakeem Dawadu versus Mike Trezano. And Hakeem Dawadu is one of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC. Very, very entertaining guy. And I love the way that in that last fight he attacked all three levels. Um, he throws very, very strong leg kicks. He's willing to attack the body. And obviously it's an MMA fight. You're going to be punching to the head. You know, so he hit all three areas very well. He utilizes clinch work to, um, I don't want to say keep him out of danger, but um, almost play with the pace a little bit and, and play with the timing a little bit. So um, he did very well utilizing clinch when he needed to. And one of my, shout out to him for this, because this was one of my favorite um Strikes of the night. There was a moment where Trezano threw a 1-2 and Hakeem Dawadu ducked underneath both of them and countered with a leg kick. You know, it's nothing major, but um, he was able to land very strongly with the leg kick. So I thought that was um, just, just kind of a cool strike and something that kind of stood out to me that I thought, oh, wow, that's cool. I like that. But Hakeem Dawadu has a lot of potential in this 140 five pound division Mike Trezano is no easy fight and he went out there and won that fight very clearly his last last loss is to Mozart Evelev who a lot of people think is one of the best guys one of the best grapplers in that division and Hakeem Dawadu went out there against him lost the first two rounds very clearly um, he was getting taken down a little bit and then in the third round he turned it around which is usually not something you see when one guy's, you know, putting a high pace together and landing a lot of takedowns. Usually if that happens for two rounds, it'll happen for the third. He was able to uh, turn it around, win the third round of that fight. So things like that are, are impressive to me because, you know, you can kind of fight your way out of that hole. So I really like Hakeem Dawadu as a fighter. 
And once again, I think he's someone who should be fighting ranked opponents. But like every other division right now, from 45 to 185, you know, there there's a lot of good guys in that 10 to 15 range, right? And Shane Burgos at 14 is, is a, a fight that stands out to me. I think that would be very entertaining. And that fight was already supposed to happen once. I don't remember why it got canceled. Someone had to pull out. You know how those things go. But, um, yeah, Hakeem Dawadu, very impressive. Sadiq Yusuf at 12 also uh, would be a fun fight. Alex Caceres at 15, that's a fun fight. So I think Hakeem Dawadu has a lot of options. And I think he should be fighting in that, that 10 to 15 range. And um, I, I don't even... There were other guys where I was like, oh, they should be fighting 10 to 15, but I can see them getting a fight that's not against the ranked opponent. Uh, I think Hakeem Dawadu needs a ranked opponent next because I, I think he has earned that right with uh, the performance he just had. Now, like I said, that was the last fight we were going to talk about for UFC Fight Night, Sean Strickland versus Jack Hermanson. And... The only piece of news that we're going to touch on this week is the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, the Ultimate Fighter, if you missed it, the UFC announced that Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes would be the coaches. Now, a lot of people weren't too happy about that, and, you know, neither was I, really. Um, I think there are too many good options for heated rivalries um, with good trash talkers and really entertaining um, personalities, and I just don't think that Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes have that. Um, if you look at the fight that, or if you look at what, the, if you look at the press conference they had uh, the first time they fought, it really wasn't too entertaining of a press conference. It wasn't fun to watch, and I don't think we need a whole season of that. They also announced the fighters that will be fighting. Once again, there were some there were some good selections. There were some bad selections. Mohamed Usman, who is the brother of Kamaru Usman, will be fighting in the heavyweight portion. Um, very excited for that. On the contrary, there is um, a 43-year-old who hasn't fought in like 10 years, who is five and four, and he's going to be fighting as well, right? So, you know, I just don't exactly understand um, the thought process of putting a 43-year-old in a show that is supposed to be, you know, for up-and-comers who want to break into the UFC. It just doesn't make much sense to me, and that, that that's whatever. And at the end of the day, what is failing the Ultimate Fighter is not the coaches they pick or the fighters they pick. Because they can make those things work. At the end of the day, the, the way that last show was edited, if you didn't watch the last season of The Ultimate Fighter, you, you didn't miss much. In the past, some of the most entertaining moments of The Ultimate Fighter are interactions between guys, right? Two dudes arguing in the kitchen over who's going to eat the last apple um, can be entertaining, right? Um, Nick Diaz had some very entertaining moments on The Ultimate Fighter when he was on it. Now, what the show has gotten to was you don't know anything about any of the fighters. 
and then the first time a fighter fights, you you see 25 minutes of them talking to pre-recorded footage <coughs> and explaining their life prior to the UFC. So, um, to me, that is where we're going wrong, you know. You don't know, and, and the worst part about that is you don't get to hear anything about these guys really until they fight, right? So when you have eight fights before everybody gets introduced into the show, you're three-fourths of the way through the season before you get a solid introduction to who everybody is. Um, no other reality television show will do that. They won't, you know, they won't hide a character from you who's a part of the show until you're 75% of the way through. It's just not how it works, right? So if you don't edit the show well, it doesn't matter if Jorge and Colby are the coaches and you have, you know, eight guys who are 10-0 and 0 and some of the best prospects outside of the UFC going at it. It, it doesn't matter if they edit the show terribly. So that is just kind of my own beef with the Ultimate Fighter. Um, and, and when you pair that issue with unentertaining coaches and, you know, lackluster prospects, you're going to have issues. And that's unfortunate because it is a very strong concept and a show that could work, um, but we're watching it tank in front of us. And that is one of the most critical takes I've had on any UFC related issue in a very long time because it that I'm we we're just watching them run the show into the dirt so we're gonna get off that little rant about the ultimate fighter because frankly it's not that much fun to talk about and we are gonna look forward to next week's fight card which is UFC 271 headlined by Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker and in this main event, I think the number one thing that I'm looking forward to is if Robert Whitaker can get a takedown. Obviously, Robert Whitaker is a tremendous striker, but it is very hard to beat Israel Adesanya in, in pure kickboxing. I want to see if he can go out there and get some takedowns, right? And, and like I said earlier, Robert Whitaker isn't an elite, elite wrestler. But he can time a takedown well, and if he gets in good positions, he will finish that position and find a way on to be on top, right? It's what he did against Calvin Gastelum. He times his shot very well, gets, you know, locked up underneath the butt, you know, gets double underhooks, gets a strong position on a leg. He will finish that takedown. So if he can get some of those opportunities and and land some nice takedowns, I think he has a good shot at winning this, right? And that's not because he'll be able to hold Izzy down four or five rounds, but if you can make Izzy concerned about the threat of a takedown, you are a lot more likely to win just because you're going to see less of it, less output, right? Looking at Marvin Vittori versus and. Paulo Costa, if you compare their fights against Izzy, you know, that threat of a takedown is really what held Marvin from not, you know, getting getting out kickboxed for two rounds, right? 
Paulo didn't threaten that takedown at all is he just chewed up the front leg and landed some shots to the head, puts him out. You know, it's 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 um it's very hard to beat Izzy without that threat of a takedown. So and I I think Robert can bring that to this fight. Now, question is even with that, can he win? Yes, he can win. I don't pick him to win. However, I think that Izzy is good enough at defending takedowns that um, even if he... Okay, let me reword that. I think if Robert is able to take Izzy down, I think that Izzy can do a good enough job at getting back up, and I think he will be able to land the better shots on the feet. Now, do I think Izzy's going to go out there and and win this fight 50-45 or or knock him out in round one? I don't. Um, I I think this is going to be an incredibly close fight. If you, I think it's going to go to decision, and I imagine something very close, like a 48-47 or or a 49-46, where there's a couple rounds in there where you could give him the wrap. So, um, well, I think Robert makes this an entertaining fight and a competitive fight. I think Israel Adesanya goes out there and eventually gets a win. Now, in the co-main event, we have Derek Lewis versus Tai Tuivasa. This is also an interesting fight because if you were to ask me who is the better fighter here, in my opinion, it is very clearly Derek Lewis. With that being said, we have seen Tai Tuivasa go out and land some big counter shots and put guys away. Most notably, Greg Hardy. That that counter hook that he landed on Greg Hardy was pitch perfect and and is something that could put anybody out. If he lands that same hook against Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis will be knocked out. Now, what does that mean, right? Um, I think, um, right, and I'm not too confident in this pick, I think Derek Lewis is going to be able to avoid some some of those shots. And I think Derek Lewis is the more well-rounded fighter at the end of the day. I think that Derek Lewis is going to be able to go out there and get a takedown if he needs to, right? If we're, you know, in a fight where it's 1-1 going into round three and you've got a minute left and you need a takedown to win, I think Derek Lewis could go out there and get it, um, especially against Tai Tuivasa. Now, (coughs) excuse me. Now, with that being said, um, I'm not counting Tai Tuivasa out because anyone with his power can win this fight. But I just think that Derek Lewis has more options to go out there and get a knockout, um, whether it be boxing, whether it be counter-striking, whether he throws a head kick in there, whether he throws a flying knee in there. I just think that this fight's going to come down to who lands the shot that puts the other guy away first. Um, and I think Derek is going to land that shot first. And I think that if something happens where Derek needs to adjust his game plan to wrestle, I think he also has that. So I'm leaning Derek Lewis, and um, I'm thinking KO here. And we'll just say round two. Now, another interesting fight on this card, Jared Cannonier versus Derek Brunson. This one has big implications in this title picture. I think the winner gets the next title fight very clearly. Especially if, say, Jared Cannonier goes out there and knocks Derek Brunson out and then calls out Izzy. Izzy's probably going to call him out if he wins, right? 
I think, you know, and the, the same works for Derek Brunson. So I think that the winner of this fight is going to fight for the belt. Now, who will that winner be? I'm going to go with Jared Kedinier. As much as Derek Brunson is a tremendous wrestler, I just think that Derek Brunson's last two fights were fights that were just some of the best, last three fights actually, were some of the best uh, matchups he could have been given. Looking at Darren Till, Kevin Holland, and Edmund Shabazian, all great strikers who all struggle to defend a takedown. And um, at the end of the day, I think Jared Cannonier is going to do a lot better of a job at defending a takedown than any of those previously mentioned guys. And I think that he he might not be as good of a striker as someone like Darren Till, as someone like Kevin Holland or Edmund Shabazian, as those guys are all very strong strikers. Um, if you look at those fights, especially Holland and Till, they landed good shots on Derek Brunson. There were times where Kevin Holland would land a nice one-two and kind of wobble Brunson, but then Brunson gets a takedown. And then, you know, he has four minutes of ground control. He's no longer hurt. The round's over, and, and we're starting the next round. So um, I think Jared Cannonier in those moments where he touches Brunson, I don't think Brunson's going to be able to get the takedown the same way he was in a fight like Holland or Till. So, um, I am going to pick Jared Cannonier. I think he gets it done by knockout, and I will say round three. <clears throat> Moving on in this card, we've got Kyler Phillips and Marcelo Rojo. Give me Kyler Phillips. I think that Kyler Phillips is a very fun and versatile fighter. And, you know, you can make the case that he won his last fight, and the only reason he's fighting an unranked guy is because he got robbed in his last decision. So, um, for Kyler Phillips, I think he goes out there and gets it done against a Marcelo Rojo. Now, Nazrat, Hasperat, and Bobby Green is another tremendous fight. This is a fight that I saw get booked, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, they did a good job booking that fight. Tremendous matchmaking, and I'm going to lean towards Bobby Green. I think that Bobby Green will be able to stay on the outside, land a lot of ones, a lot of twos, put some combos together, land some nice leg kicks. I think that Bobby Green goes out there and gets this done. Give me Bobby Green by decision. Now, we have Andre Arlowski versus Jared Vandera. This is a fight that... I'm going to lean towards Andre Arlovsky. Andre Arlovsky, actually, maybe we... Andre Arlovsky usually goes out there and gets two wins, three wins in a row, and then gets beat by a solid up-and-comer. And, you know, he's got two wins right now. But if you look at the guys that... If you look at the guys that Andre Arlovsky has beat and the guys he has not beat, he has lost to Tom Aspinall, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, Augusto Sakai, Shamil, Tai Tuivasa, Marcin Tabora, Francis Ngannou, Josh Barnett, Alistair Overeem, Stipe Miocic, 
and Anthony Johnson. And then, you know, after that, we're getting back to 2011 if we want to go any further. So we don't need to go back any further than that, really. And then, on the contrary, he's beaten guys like Stefan Struve, Junior Albini, Ben Rothwell, Felipe Lenz, Tanner Bozer, Carlos Felipe, Chase Sherman. Now, why did I just run through all those names? Well, at the end of the day, Andrzej Arlovski, in his current place in his career, he's beaten guys who aren't good enough to be contenders or champions. But he's beating the guy who is not quite at that level, right? You have to be elite if you want to be Andrzej And unfortunately, I don't view Jared Vendera as an elite level guy. I don't think he's on the same level as an Aspinall, a Jarzinho Rosenstrike, an Augusto Sakai. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Not everybody can be a top 15, top 10 fighter in the world. With that being said, I think that Andrzej Olavsky is going to go out there and get this done. Moving on, Casey O'Neill versus Roxanne Mataferi. Casey O'Neill, one of the best prospects in that flyweight, women's flyweight division. And I think that she's going to go out there and get another win. Her last win over Antonia Shevchenko, very, very impressive. Um, and I think, um, you, you know, well, Roxanne Mataferi at the end of the day has already announced her retirement. And... I just think there's something about knowing you're, that you're done, right? Not, at the end of the day, Roxanne Mataferi, whether she loses this fight or wins this fight, doesn't really affect her all that much. And I think that, you know, builds into your subconscious. And, you know, I usually pick against fighters who are retiring just because, you know, you're retiring for a reason. You're not retiring because you're at the peak of your game unless you're Habib or GSP or someone like that. If you are, you know, ranked, you know, in the middle of the pack and you're retiring, you're you're not retiring because, you know, you can go out there and win a championship. So I think that Casey O'Neill gets it done. Um, and Roxanne Mataferi, regardless um, if she wins or not on Saturday, she's had a great career. And I wish her the best in her post-fighting career endeavors. Now... Alex Perez versus Matt Schnell. Anytime we're putting bantamweights against each other, it's a potential fight of the night candidate. Just That's just how the 125-pound division works. I'm leaning with Matt, or excuse me, I'm leaning with Alex Perez on this one. As much as I like Matt Schnell, Alex Perez is someone who, aside from his loss to Divison Figueredo, has looked very, very good. He hasn't fought too recently, um, but looking at his most recent wins, I like Alex Perez as a fighter. I think he gets back on track against Matt Schnell. And we'll say by decision once again. Now, skipping around a little bit, um, Carlos Olberg versus Fabio Chernat. I really like that fight as well. Um, 
I like that fight as well. Um, this is the type of fight that you need to watch on the prelims. Carlos Oberg gets into fun fights. Shabia, Fabio Chernat is someone that, you know, I really liked coming into the UFC. Um, he looked very impressive. And unfortunately, he's got losses to William Knight and Alonzo Menafield. Those are two guys who are very respected. And he's fighting another guy in Carlos Oberg who's also a very respected. I think this is going to be a close fight back and forth, um, but I'll take Carlos Oberg. Um, we'll go by decision. Now, another sleeper fight, Renato Moicano and Alexander Hernandez. These two guys are guys who, at one point, people thought would be top fighters in the UFC. Renato Moicano um, got the privilege to fight Aldo, Chansung Jung, Brian Ortega, Rafael Faziv. So, you know, he is no bum. Alex Hernandez, on the other hand, he has been, um, at one point in his career, he was fighting Cowboy Cerrone. So he is someone who's also um, used to be a top prospect, and now he's just not at the same level anymore. But... Both of these guys are coming off very impressive performances, both coming off finish wins in their last fight. Um, I think this is a fight of the night sleeper, and if you were to make me pick, I lean Hanato Moicano. Um, I just think he's a little bit of a, a better striker here, and I think he. I don't that that's that. I don't even think that's that true, but I think he'll he'll be able to use some length here to stay on the outside. And, and land some good shots against Alexander Hernandez. Now, the last fight that I'm going to talk about before we end this is Blood Diamond, Mike Mathea versus Jeremiah Wells. Now, this is a fight that is something I look at as one of the fights where it's like, I can't believe they booked this fight, right? Blood Diamond, if you don't know who he is, he is 3-0 in MMA, and he is a training partner of Israel Adesanya and all those guys, and he has been talked about as someone who, when he comes into the UFC, he's going to make a splash, right? That's always been what people have thought about him, and on the contrary, we are having Jeremiah Wells, who in his last fight absolutely d just destroyed Warley Alvarez on short notice and that was his first fight in the UFC and for him he has been looked so highly upon after that performance he has had fights booked against Jake Matthews and Tim Means both of those fights got canceled however um, also he's also had fights booked against Baeza um, Miguel Baeza, that is. I don't know why I only said his last name, but uh, Miguel Baeza. So Jeremiah Wells is a very respected guy who, in his last performance, I was blown away um, by how good he looked. So I'm going to pick Jeremiah Wells in that one just because when I see someone and I go, wow, I'm really impressed by what you just did, I usually pick them in their next fight. Um, that's just kind of how it goes. So pretty, you know, pretty standard there. Now, um, like I said, that was the last fight we were going to talk about. 
on UFC 271. And that is the end of this episode of the Headkick KO podcast. I hope you enjoyed. Um, We will be back next week to break down UFC 271, and we will talk about um, what happened in the main event, in the co-main. We'll talk about probably some other fights on the main card. Um, We'll talk about anything interesting on the prelims, and we will talk about what is next for all of those guys, and it should be fun. So thank you, and make sure you tune in next week. Goodbye.